Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. In 597 AD, Augustine baptized 10,000 men who in turn baptized their wives and their family members. And then between the years uh, 680 and 755 AD, that's 75 years, it's accounted that Boniface, an English missionary to Germany, is said to have baptized 100,000 people, all because Jesus said to do it. You know, out of all the things that Christians do, I think baptism might be one of the weirdest. Uh, right? I mean, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, just for a second, put yourself in the place of a non-believer for a minute, okay? I think it's good for us to do this exercise once in a while. And just imagine how odd and perplexing of a thing that baptize, baptism might be to witness, to watch people dunking other people in the water, at least the way we do it around here. Now, I'm hyper aware of this anytime that we're in a public space, uh, potentially like a public beach uh, or, or a, you know, a Marriott hotel pool or anything like that. And I don't know what it is. It's just always something within me wonders if these people watching us right now think we're doing some sort of voodoo ritual. I just... You know, we, you know, I think we can be honest about that. Baptism is weird. It is. It's okay. It's not sacrilegious. But it is mysterious, right? And yet, for a follower of Jesus, I think it really means something. Not that I think. It, it really does mean something. In the New Testament, baptism, you see, was just the normal way, the, the, the absolute normal way that someone would express their faith in Jesus. It just was everywhere happening all around. For instance, this is exactly what we see happening on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. The people were gathered in one space. They heard Peter's message. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit. And then they wanted to know, how should we respond? And then Peter invites them, very clearly he says, to repent. That's number one. And then he says, and be baptized. See, as the good news of Jesus continued to spread, it eventually reached Samaria. You know what's cool about that is in the, in the Great Commission where Jesus says that it's going to go out into all the world, into Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea, it actually starts to do that. Isn't that amazing? The good news of the gospel is being spread. It reaches Samaria. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. But when they believed, they were baptized. So baptism is just the normal way that we see faith being expressed. It showed that a person had already identified Jesus as Lord. And and this is an important uh, point to recognize because baptism itself, in and of itself, does not save someone. 
Baptism does not make you a believer in Jesus, but it shows what you have already believed, and this is the act of making that belief in public baptism official, telling the world what you believe about who Jesus is and what you want your life to look like as a result. You know, we oftentimes, uh, when we talk about baptism, especially when we do a baptism, we'll oftentimes refer to baptism being like a wedding ring. Okay, so I have, by God's grace, I have this ring on my finger. It's been on there for 17 and a half years, right? This ring, uh, and my kids ask me, have you ever taken that off? And I, I literally have never taken this ring off in 17 and a half years. It's crazy. Um, this ring is an outward symbol of the commitment of marriage that I made to Danielle. But here's the deal. This ring doesn't make me married. Okay? Stick with me. What makes me married to Danielle is the covenant commitment that I made before God and that she made before God. And this ring was put on our finger or my finger and hers on hers to be a reflection of that commitment. And and that's typically why you'll see a ring going on someone's finger after their vows are made. And I think the same can be said of baptism. It happens after repentance and faith. It signifies what has happened to you, the commitment that you have made. You know, the Jewish people had been baptizing people for more than a thousand years. It's crazy. I went back and looked at this uh, this week, and it's just incredible the way that baptism has gone, you know, the kind of the the historical roots that it has. And they've been baptizing people for for more than a thousand years, and they had been ritually cleansing themselves in a process that is very akin to the act of New Testament baptism. And if you wanted to worship in the temple, uh, if you were converting to Judaism as a Gentile, first what you would have to do is you would have to get completely immersed in the waters of a mikvah. Now, a mikvah, yeah, we got a, okay, we got a picture here. A mikvah is an ancient pool that they would dig out for their temple cleansing rituals. As I said before, if you were unclean, and there are a variety of reasons that you might be unclean in that time under the Old Testament law, you would have to actually go into this pool. It looks like it might have been a little deeper at the time, um, but you would have to go into this pool and you would have to completely submerge yourself under the water and come up and then they would declare you ritually clean. Immersion in the mikvah represented a change in your status in regards to purification, restoration, and qualification for full religious participation in the life of the community. You actually could not worship in the temple if you were unclean. You'd have to go to this pool. And when you came up out of the water, you were, by their status, declared clean according to their law and according to their tradition. So the question arises, so if if baptism first had this sort of secular connotation that Jews took in practice, how did it become a Christian thing? Like, when did that start? Well, we open up the New Testament, and one of the first characters we come to is this crazy hippie, 
out in the desert eating bugs. And his name was John the Southern Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist. And uh, John, John was, what was he doing? He was dunking people in the Jordan River. Why? Well, because rivers were considered living water. They're moving. They're not stagnant. They're alive, flowing from one place to the other. So here he is, but, but check it out. He's not baptizing Gentiles to make them Jewish. This is the real interesting part. He's baptizing Jews. And, you know, that started to raise some eyebrows, particularly with the Sanhedrin uh, and the Jewish law keepers of their day. And this is when the Jewish leaders got involved. And they basically said, and I'm just paraphrasing here, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't you know that we are sons of Abraham? What are you doing? And I love this. And John answers them. And basically he says, big deal. You know, God could make sons of Abraham out of these rocks if he wanted to. But the Messiah is coming. And you need to repent. And you need to get ready for him. This is a baptism of repentance. So here's the crazy part. For a Jew to get baptized by John the Baptist and his followers, which was an act that was typically, remember what we said, was a, a, typically an act that was made to make an outsider an insider. See, if a Gentile became a Jewish convert, they would have to go through this baptismal process. But for a Jew to baptize a Jew into this baptism of, of repentance, they essentially, the people being baptized, essentially had to admit, I'm an outsider. I am an out. I, I keep the law. I follow the rules. I observe the feasts. I make the sacrifices. But I'm an outsider. I'm an outsider, and I might be a son of Abraham. I might be religious. I may keep the law to the best of my ability. I might follow all the rules and all the regulations around my tradition. But I'm an outsider who needs repentance because my religion isn't enough. Whew. I could talk about how that's my story. And, and receiving God's grace and, and recognizing that as a sophomore in college, that there was nothing I could do to keep the law, even the traditions of the church, enough to make God love me more than he already did. This is good news in so many ways. Because what John is saying to them and what it means for us now is that there is only one power. There is only one power that can truly give someone new life, and it's the power of Jesus to save men, women, and children. Amen. Do you believe that? This is the power of the good news of the gospel. Now, I want to switch gears, and I want to talk about the who. We talked about the what a little bit, about what is baptism, where did it come from. I want to talk about the who uh, and before I do that, I, I want to just make a quick mention here, a quick note. Uh, it should be mentioned that many faithful Christians uh, do disagree 
okay, on some of the specifics surrounding water baptism. So we don't, we don't shy away from that. We recognize that, you know, all churches have different ways and different thoughts and different traditions and backgrounds. For instance, some church, some churches will baptize infants. We refer to that as pedo-baptism, pedo-baptist, while others only will baptize those who can make a profession of faith, and that would be someone considered a credo-baptist. And so my goal in this section here is not necessarily to take the time that I think it would require to present an exhaustive case for one or the other or why those things, uh, you know, really matter. But I think we, we need to talk about the who question because I think it's important when it comes to obeying uh, Jesus's command, which it is, to be baptized, okay? And, and also so that you might know uh, where we land as a church and why. So hopefully this is helpful for you. In Acts chapter 8, there's a famous story of the Ethiopian eunuch, a man who was in charge of the treasury for the queen of the Ethiopians. Her name is Candace. Just so you know. And the text says that he had come to Jerusalem to worship this Ethiopian eunuch and, and that he was on his way back home when the Spirit of God... This is kind of a crazy story. You've got to go back and check this out. The Spirit of God told Philip to go over and to join this Ethiopian eunuch on his chariot. And when he came close, Philip noticed that the man, he heard him, was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Specifically, he was reading from chapter 53, and it was a messianic prophecy, a prophecy that foretold of Jesus' coming thousands of years beforehand. And Philip was used by God to help this man understand what he was reading, and essentially, he led him to Christ in that moment. He, he said, how am I going to know what this means unless someone helps me understand it, right? And so they go through the scriptures, and I, I assume here, because of what happened, that Philip has explained the gospel to him. He knows what the gospel says. He's put the, the dots together. Sometimes we have to put the, you know, how does this all work together? He put the dots together, and then the text specifically says, uh, in verse 36, uh, Acts eight thirty-six, it says, as they were going along the road, they came to some, some water. So Philip decided to, you know, he's going to giddy up with this guy a little bit, you know, trot down the road in his chariot. Um, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. And then he asks, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, some translations, like the New King James uh, Version, record Philip's answer to the eunuch's question about baptism as, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then they both go down to the water, and Philip baptizes him. Either way, I think what's clear in this, this account is that faith comes first. Uh, the eunuch had to believe before Philip baptized him. Another passage that we quickly looked at earlier was Acts chapter 2. Remember I was talking about Peter and the famous message that he gave where 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. But there's a bunch of people that are there to listen to what Peter has to say. And Peter is very clear. He says to those who are gathered that they are to repent and to be baptized. But then as you read down further, verse 41 really spells this out. 
It says, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So there's a bit of an order here that we see. Uh, one of the questions that comes up regularly when we talk about baptism and, and, and within the church is uh, related to household baptisms. There are several in the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament gives five accounts of entire households being baptized. One of the most famous among them is the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Um, and verse 44 says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Then verse 47, it says, then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized after they all hear the word and receive the spirit, according to this, this chapter. Another place in scripture where we see a household baptism taking place is Crispus in Acts. How would you like that name, by the way? Crispus. Acts 18, verse 8, it says, Believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Hence, the household baptism. There was belief before there was baptism. And so as you dig into the, the household text, what you'll discover is that in every case, all cases except one, I believe, it's with uh, the exception of Lydia, the text, I think, makes it clear that the entire household believed before baptism occurred. Now, there's plenty of things that you could look at, and I think I encourage you to do that, you know, to look at specifics around that if that interests you. Um, but we cannot make arguments where there is nothing to be said. Um, what we have is we see belief, we see it spelled out, we see the word of the Lord, and then we see baptism. Um, and, and there's so much more we could go into in that way, uh, but just to say, check it out for yourself, take a look at the text, there's, like I said, there's five, and, and see what you discover, and, and look at the order, and look at what's being said there. And, you know, we don't have enough time to do justice to any of these things, but we, uh, as we look at the overwhelming majority of every recorded New Testament baptism, and certainly the normative pattern in the book of Acts, I think what we'll find is that it shows us that water baptism is an act that follows one's repentance and their faith. So, where does that land us? Uh, well, it's important because as a church, uh, we hold to the position that baptism is for all believers, but that it's for believers only. Um, we feel like this best represents, as I said, the biblical pattern for water baptism. And as a church, we want to see uh, more baptisms happen because what that means is more people are coming to saving faith in Christ. See how that works? We, we are looking to see people make a profession of faith, and we are looking then to baptize those who do so. So this leads us to this final question about baptism. Hopefully that's helpful in some way for you. Why should I be baptized? Let's make it personal. Two answers. Instruction and identification. Instruction and identification. First, instruction. 
As I mentioned before, we're in this series about practicing the way, and the things that we're looking right now at, at right now by Jesus are commands. Jesus instructed, he taught, he commanded that we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus said to do it, and we want to follow Jesus in obedience, then baptism is just a normal, natural, big part of that. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands, right? So if Jesus commands us to baptize, then we do it, right? That should be enough. But there's another reason why you should be baptized, and that is identification. See, baptism is a great picture of a Christian's death to sin and rebirth to a new life with Christ. Baptism physically symbolizes someone's union with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. When you become a Christian, you die to sin in your old way of life, and you begin a whole new life because you're a new person. And so the very act of baptism, being immersed in the water and coming up out of the water, I see it as a direct parallel to the act of being buried and raised. It's a picture of what actually happens to you spiritually. Let me read this in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to 4. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by, his, by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When you're baptized, you're making it personal. You're saying, Jesus died for my sin. Jesus died in my place. The old me is now dead. The new me has been made alive by Christ. You know, this week I was thinking back to some of those special moments that I've had uh, being able to, uh, to baptize others, you know. And, and I remember very, very distinctly, like, I was baptized, uh, you know, it, which is really neat. My parents actually now live on the lake that I was baptized at, at a beachfront. Super cool. Just really excited. I have footage of that. I was going to try to pull it out, but it took way too long and super grainy. Um, they didn't have iPhones at that time. Sorry, guys. Uh, but uh, there is footage. There's footage of this, and um, just really cool. Uh, but there's a couple other historical moments of baptism for me. Let's pull some of these up. Now, this, this is going to look bad. It does sort of look like I'm trying to drown somebody here, doesn't it? I was like, do I put that one in there or not? But anyway, this is, this is the first baptism that I ever did. And this was with our small group in Pennsylvania. And we baptized Amanda, her name was, is, in this tub, in our bathtub. Because she was super shy and she did not, she absolutely did not want to get up in front of people. So she, she uh, asked if we could just baptize her, like, just in our own little small group. So we did that. We accommodated. And there she is. And we baptized her. All right, we can go to the next one. This is a special moment uh, of being able to baptize our friend Emmanuel uh, at Praxis Church when we started, uh, not, not too long after we got into our first leased building there 
And uh, just just a, another wonderful day to be able to celebrate what Jesus has done in this guy's life. And much longer story, but we can we can move on. Oh, this is uh, a couple summers ago. This is uh, my wife and I, uh, Danielle and myself, baptizing our daughter Abby, uh, which was a special moment. This is our first child being baptized and just articulating the gospel and being able to talk about what Jesus has done specifically for her. And just a special moment. And then our fi- the final one here is this past summer out here on the patio, we got the chance to baptize Soren, uh, who also uh, has placed his trust and his faith in Jesus. And we're just so thankful that our kids all on their own decided that they wanted to participate in this, in this act. But I just want to say, you know, just to encourage you, you know, if you're following Jesus today with this evidence of repentance and faith, it is our desire that you would be baptized. You know, I've met a lot of Christians in my life. They're, they're, they're ones that profess faith, but they've not yet been baptized. And I just want to encourage you. It is not just an encouragement from me, but it's a command from the Lord that you would be baptized in water. It's your clear next step. And I would say to you today, don't wait. You know, don't hesitate. Don't over-glamorize this, but follow Jesus's instruction to be baptized. I just want to leave us with this, and we're going to go into some more singing here. Would you just bow your head with me for a moment as we contemplate and consider what Jesus has done for us in baptism? He was immersed in suffering so that you could be immersed in salvation. He was immersed in pain that you could be immersed in his peace. He was immersed in death so that you and I could be immersed and saturated in his life. Father, that's what we ask today, is that you would come and fill us once again, that you would fill us to overflow. It's a song we sing here regularly, that your spirit would fill us up to be the people that you've called us to be. And I I do pray, Father, that for those who have not taken this step, this next step of obedience to you, that today would be the moment where they realize, I need to do that. I need to signify and publicly declare what Jesus has done for me. I thank you for this community. I thank you for the place that this is, that we can welcome everyone in, and that we can encourage each other on our journey. I pray that you'd help us to follow you in this act for years to come. And I pray that we would see people come to know you. And the reason that we are seeing people come to know you is because there's a lot of baptisms happening around Elm City Church. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.